Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie. Monday morning, the 2nd of October. Good morning. With much debate and discussion from now till 11am, this is Michael Reed on LMFM. Next week, the government will announce Budget 24. Overall, an €11 billion Euro budget package is expected. But while the government has what might seem to be an unimaginable amount of money to spend, it is hearing demands from every sector of society. Not only that, but as readers of the Business Post will be aware a shadow hangs over the hope of popping champagne corks this year because of an overspend in delivering health services. Let's hear a little bit more about this now. Michael Brennan is uh, the political editor with uh, the Business Post and was writing about this yesterday and on the line with us now. And a very good morning to you, Michael, and thank you indeed for joining us on uh, the programme this morning. We're talking about a very substantial overspend in health, it would seem. That's right, Michael. Good morning to you. Yeah, it's in the region of at least one and a half billion, Michael, uh, possibly more by the time we get to the end of the year. You must remember that health budget was 24 billion for this year. So it's the highest ever. But there's huge pressure on our hospital departments. A lot of uh, additional patients, especially older people, obviously attending medical inflation for things like uh, surgical supplies and so on is up between 20 and 30 percent. So all of those factors are are driving this big deficit in the health budget. And then that is putting pressure on the government because it could eat up money they want for for other departments. Mm. And when we talk about an 11 billion euro overall package, that could be reduced by as much as 2 billion because of this overspend. Absolutely, Michael. Part of that 11 billion increase is is about 5.2 billion in extra spending. But as anyone will know in their daily lives, inflation is so high at the moment, a lot of that extra spending is just going to go to pay for the higher cost of what we're already uh, getting. So they have about two billion of that five billion of extra spending allocated for effectively inflation increases in costs. But health is looking for next year, maybe 2.4 billion to actually just pay for those extra costs. So you can see if health was to get everything they're looking for, there'd be no money for the cost increase in other departments. And that's that's where a lot of the difficulty is. And has this come as a, a surprise to ministers? No surprise at all, to be honest, Michael, because historically, I think the figure is seven out of the last eight health budgets have, have overrun. You have the Taoiseach, Leo Bradker, a former health minister himself, uh, Michal Martin, the Taunch, the former health minister. They know uh, what it's like. And... I think there's a a reluctant uh, acceptance uh, at senior level in government that they will have to uh, pony up the money in some shape or form. Maybe not all of it, but they do know they cannot tell hospitals to turn people away Mm. or not to use the medical supplies they have. There are problems, managerial problems, the HSE. They're not blameless. 
but it, there is an acceptance that a lot of this is a genuine cost pressure. And this is just a standstill, really, which uh, includes uh, the type of uh, scenarios uh, that we experienced last year with hundreds, a thousand uh, on one particular day or thereabouts uh, who were waiting on hospital trolleys uh, to be admitted to hospitals. Yeah, the, the, the grim scenario of this budget, Michael, is even with record health spending, the likelihood is there, there, we've been told at senior level in government there won't really be much money available, if any, for new initiatives. So they will certainly try and keep treating people on, people on waiting lists, but the notion of lots more money to improve services, to hire more doctors and nurses and so on, and get more people through the system, that doesn't look like what's going to happen um, Taoiseach Leo Radker told me in, in Watford on Saturday morning, he was at a Fine Gael conference there, that really this is a year of consolidation next year for the HSE to kind of hold the budget it has and, and obviously probably a bit more for the cost increases. OK, tell us a little bit more uh, about what you've been reporting on to expect next week uh, because uh, it is still a substantial package uh, and as I said at the outset this morning there's a, a lot of demands on government. People will be hopeful that there'll be cuts in uh, the cost of childcare. Yeah, I, I think they can, be, they can be reasonably confident of getting something, Michael. Uh, the government are backing away from the promise to repeat last year's 25% cut in childcare fees, which was very popular with parents. This year, they're under pressure from smaller providers of, of childcare, especially who say they've been squeezed because the fees were frozen so that any cuts to parents' fees didn't get eroded straight away with an increase. But they're looking for more of what they call core funding. And also there are places around the country where there are no creches, no preschools available for people who need them. So the government is under pressure to give them more funding to set up new services. So it's going to be, I think, a combination of a a cut to the fees, probably not the 25%, and then that extra funding for, for those other aims. Mm. Uh, and then uh, there will be increases in welfare. Will people be satisfied, I suppose, is the next question. No, I think it's safe to say you, you can write the opposition speeches here, Michael, that you know groups like Age Action have been looking for an inflation-linked payment increase to welfare of about 10%. That would work at about maybe €25 Euro a week on a lot of welfare rates, including the pension People in government would say they can't, they don't think they can afford that. And you're looking at kind of perhaps 10 euro to 12 euro increases is the kind of figures being bandied around at the moment. That that they, that will be topped up, I think, with more of these one-off payments, like an additional pension payment or an additional week's welfare payment, stuff like that, mm. so that the government can say we've given you something but it's not going into the into the rates long term. And uh, will there be energy credits for everybody then? Yeah, there's definitely going to be energy credits, Michael. It's only how much and how many. Um, they, they're they're backing away from the the three credits of two hundred euro off everyone's bills that that came out last year, and that did make a big difference to people's bills. Um, so again, there's lower figures being talked of. Could it be a hundred euro credit? You know, this time, uh, you know, would it be? Le- it, it, certainly, the word is at least one. But they're not going as far to say that that it'll be anywhere like like last year. Mm, and they'll hold off increasing excise duty again. That next round that is due. 
I, yeah, I think that that was first signalled a couple of weeks ago by by Michal Martin at Horsta when he and that was quite unusual for Michal Martin. He's not someone who generally uh, you know dabbles in too much talk about what will be in the budget, but he flagged up that they were going to look again at whether this final phase out of the excise duty cuts would go ahead at the end of uh, October. And I think in government they're very conscious. People can see the price of petrol and diesel going up a lot recently at the pumps and they know it's the most visible sign of inflation. So I think that will that, that will be delayed. I think it's in the reason that is it of six to eight cents on, on a litre of, of petrol or diesel and I think that will be extended a bit further so that you know there, you you must remember there's a carbon tax increase coming as well in the budget. So mm. They, they, they won't want to be seen to do too many things at one time. Okay, well then, uh, they'll be looking at other taxes uh, as well, of course, Michael, uh, and income tax and universal social charge. Uh, there's to be changes made uh, in both respects, I think. Yes, they, 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 this is to kind of satisfy the demands of, the, of Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael. Fine Gael have made a big play, as you, you'll have covered on your show many times, of getting a cut in that rate at which people move on to the higher uh, 40% rate of income tax. It's about 40000 at the moment for a single person. They want to raise it. So, you know, you can you can pay more tax at the, the basic 20% rate. Fianna Fáil, though, have said we need to change the universal social charge as well because that hits more people. You know, if you're on a, a certain salary and not earning enough to go on to the higher rate, you know, that's no good to you. So you'll have a combination, I think, of, of cuts to the USC and and in a, an increase in that in that higher tax band as well. Mm. And as you say, the opposition will be writing their speeches in advance. No doubt they'll be looking at increases in pensions compared to those uh, people who will be enjoying more income, more money to take home uh, because of uh, these changes in taxes. Yeah, that that's absolutely right. Now, it, it, it's been a rule of thumb for government, and I was told in recent days that, that it still exists, that the welfare package must balance out the tax package. So at the moment, there's about $1.1 billion of tax cuts penciled in, and I'm told the welfare package will be about the same as well. So there, you know, they, there will be an equivalence there, but that's not to say that you know, certainly people working may get a bigger, I would expect, get a bigger tax cut than, again, people on, on, on welfare and pensions. OK, well, uh, there's a, a lot of concern, obviously, about health, as you've been explaining to us. Uh, there's this ongoing concern uh, about housing. Uh, will there be announcements next week in relation to trying to solve what is uh, this 15-year-old crisis at this stage? Uh, at the moment, there, there's, it's relatively quiet, but there's a couple of things you know we do know are likely, Michael. There's still discussion of a, a tax, an increase in the rent tax credit for renters because you know they are under huge pressure paying such high rents. So it, it certainly could well increase from the 500 euro rate that was brought in in the last budget. There's still talk of a tax relief of some form for landlords, but again, that's going to be if it comes in limited to landlords who agree to stay in the market. And T-shirt Leo Radker said to me over the weekend, if landlords were to exit the market, there could be some sort of tax clawback then that anything they'd saved would come back from them. So there'd be a balance there between something for renters, something for landlords to try and keep the smaller ones, smaller landlords, especially in the market.
Okay, and uh, what does all of uh, this mean uh, in terms of Stephen Donnelly's position as Minister for Health if the budget has been two billion over, uh, if the spend has been two billion over what has been budgeted? Uh, does it call into question his position or how will these negotiations with Pascal Donoghue go and does it matter that uh, they're in two separate uh, individual parties in Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael? I, I think the danger point for Stephen Donnelly was uh, was coming up to this time last year when the cabinet reshuffle was approaching and there was a lot of speculation that his time might be up, but he survived that. And realistically, bearing a, you know, a major new scandal, I don't see the government kind of trying to move and change health minister so close to a general election. It doesn't look good from the fact that such a big overrun. But at the same time, there is some defence for him to say they spent a couple of hundred million on things like, um, you know, reducing hospital charges for people, extending free GP care for, for children aged six and seven, a free contraception scheme for women up to the age of 30. So those things have cost money and they have actually been quite popular with Fine Gael and Fine Fáil backbenchers. So that, that has bought him, uh, you know, some credit mm. amidst the difficulties he's in. OK, are you expecting any surprises next week? I guess there wouldn't be surprises yeah, if I, you were I, expecting I them. Am, but. I am, Michael. Yeah, okay. there's, al- there's always yeah. so- something mm. that we didn't see coming or, or something like that. But to be honest, you can see the general, the general outline of the budget there. The real thing to watch is are the government tempted to dip into this big corporation tax windfall and increase all the things we've just been talking about? Mm. And, of course, that'll be the story of the budget. Are they are they going to risk pushing it a bit further um, with a lot of warnings from the fiscal watchdogs that, that they could increase inflation? But they're under big pressure to, to do exactly that. Yeah, uh, a big spend, uh, or spend more than uh, we're being led to believe. A lot of surprises, a lot of happy people. That would be a good time for an election, wouldn't it? It certainly would, would be the kind of mood music the government would like. But I have to say, you know, in the opinion polls, we've done the business post over many years. You know, they, they usually disappoint governments after budgets, even when there's been a big budget package. It doesn't tend to, you know, result in a magical transformation of fortune. So, you know, it, it, I think it could stabilise the government, but they have that 15-year-old housing crisis you mentioned and, and the, you know, those things are are not going to go away even with a, a big budget package. Okay, Michael, we'll leave it there for the moment. Thank you as always for joining us today. Michael Brennan is political editor with uh, the Business Post. Uh, if you'd like to make a comment on the programme today, as always, we'd love to hear from you. Our telephone number is 0419832000. Text or WhatsApp 0861800658. Email michael at lmfm.ie. Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. Now to Drogheda, where Gardaí are calling on the public uh, for help if you can uh, find uh, any uh, way of helping, that is, uh, in terms of an 18-year-old who has been missing for about a week at this stage. Josh Markey is an 18-year-old young man uh, from the Ballsgrove area who was reported missing to us last Monday uh, by his mother, now, we're aware that on the Sunday afternoon and Sunday evening he was in a number of locations around the town of Drogheda and he went to stay in a relative's house. In, uh, he went back to a relative's house in Rantmullen on Sunday night but he left that house just before 12 midnight on Sunday night and that's the last sighting uh, we have, certainly, or anybody has, uh, of Josh. 
So we're just appealing uh, today to to Josh himself, if he you know if he listened to this or he has any contact via social media that. We would really appreciate if, you know, he contacted somebody, you know, his mother, his family, his friends, and Angarchikon are very worried about his welfare. So if he would contact us, just let us know maybe if he's okay. But members of the public as well, that if they have any information whatsoever, that they would contact us at Drogheda Garda Station. When he was last seen, uh, he was wearing a grey Under Armour tracksuit and black Nike runners. Josh is uh, six foot in height, tall, slim build with brown hair. So again, Michael, we're just asking anybody that may have any information in relation to Josh that they would contact Draw the Garda Station 041-987-4200 or the Garda Confidential Line. That's uh, Superintendent Andy Water speaking to Michael Carroll and Forrest. Let's speak to local Sinn Féin TD, Imelda Munster, who's on the line. A very good morning to you, Imelda Munster. Thanks for joining us on the programme today. Uh, I believe concern uh, really is mounting at this stage. In fact, I'm told there's a lot of rumours circulating about what might have happened to Josh Markey. Yes, it's an extremely distressing time, um, Mike, for his mum and his relatives. I mean, you, can only, you can't even put yourself in their shoes. They have to be worried sick out of their minds. I had spoken to the guards and they're treating it as a missing person's high-risk case because of his age. And they're conducting the searches and checking all CCTV. They have all his movements, as you heard in the report from Sunday. But there's a number of lines of investigation that they're following and they're looking at, at everything, including CCTV. OK, and, and there is some speculation that he may have been abducted. Well, nobody knows that. And you're conscious, the family um, listening in, you know, if there's any substance to that whatsoever. But it's mm. certainly um, worrying the fact that he hasn't made contact in a week. But... Um, you know, the, the Garda are conducting their searches and checking every, everything and appealing for anyone that may have any information. And just on another footnote, I was at the launch of um, See Something, Say Something um, campaign on Friday, just gone. Now, it's it's not particularly for this an issue of this serious nature, but it's a text line that has been set up um, where... And this is if somebody has any information. Um, it's your numbers scrambled, firstly, to say that. So the guards will have no idea who sent the, the, the message. It's only the message that can be seen. And you would text Drahada with the, you know, the message or the details to 50555. It's free and confidential, but your number is scrambled. So nobody knows who sent in that information. So that's an avenue for people to use if they're not, um, you know, if they don't want to ring the guards direct or even use the confidential phone line. It's just another option if somebody has any information whatsoever. Okay. But the fact that nobody has heard from him is extremely worrying. And that's and the guards are concerned. Yeah. Draw it five zero. Treble five, is that right? Yes, you text Drahada, mm-hmm. yeah. then then you put in the information and you text it to five zero 
treble five. And as the superintendent said, the Garda station's number is 0419874200 and the confidential line 1-800-666-1. As you say, uh, Imelda, the family uh, must be beside themselves with worry at this stage and hopefully somebody will come forward with some information or as the superintendent uh, had suggested, maybe Josh uh, could let people know that mm-hmm. he, he's safe and well if that is uh, the case. Yes, uh, you're into the eighth day now, so, you know, it has to be um, extremely distressing, as I said. So if anybody or if Josh, you know, can make contact to do so and anybody with any information whatsoever can help, please do. OK, a mystery uh, as things stand as mm-hmm. we speak this morning and hopefully somebody yeah. can shed some light on the issue. While you're with us, uh, you're here uh, to talk a- about another issue, a-, a non-going issue locally and to do with uh, the closure of uh, the Obelisk Bridge uh, and the knock-on impact to traffic in the area, a- an issue that you raised with uh, the Taoiseach last week. Yes, I raised it with the Taoiseach um, for the simple reason I wanted to up the ante on it because for months I've been on to the Minister for Transport, I've been on to TII, I've been on to Loud County Council and they're all passing the book. The Minister pretty much said it was nothing to do with him. It was uh, Transport Infrastructure Ireland's responsibility under Part 5, the Roads Act. TII um, had said that uh, it was a matter between Loud County Council and the toll operators. I had got on to Loud County Council to see if they had been in touch with the toll operators, uh, with the you know regarding the possible lifting of the tolls during the works, they had their response was that Loud County Council has not and does not propose to engage with the toll operators in this matter. So they never. The the sickening thing about that was they knew the utter gridlock and chaos that this was going to cause, and they neither contacted the department, the minister. Transport Infrastructure Ireland or the toll operators to see if something could be worked out in advance. So and you're you're laying the blame at Louth County Council's door because uh, when this was raised uh, with uh, the minister by yourself uh, and others before the closure of the bridge, the minister seemed to be suggesting that it was TII's responsibility to mm-hmm. liaise with the toll operator. The minister had said that it was a matter between Loud County mm. Council and the toll operators, right? Yeah. Or, or, no, the minister said it was nothing to do with him. Yes. Uh, yeah. That mm. TAI had responsibility. Mm. TAI mm. said it was a matter between Loud County Council and the toll operators. Mm. But the Loud County Council, it appears to me, and going by the response I got, that they literally just put the diversion signs in place. And went and ahead. Mm. sent everybody in the one direction, knowing that it would bring Drogheda I remember at the time we contacted TII ourselves and they referred us to Loud County Council so yeah, you believe that yeah. the book's up with them and they sat in their hands. Well they, they, they just literally put diversion signs up sending everybody in the one direction knowing it would bring Drogheda to a standstill and made no and even when I put it to them would they contact yeah. or have they contacted yeah. the group they said no they haven't and they don't propose to either. So there was no engagement. But they knew full well that it was going to cause absolute chaos. And that's why I raised it with the Taoiseach, because mm. I asked him to get on to the Minister for Transport, because the Minister could use his influence. He could even, given the extraordinary circumstance and the fact that the largest town in Ireland is going to be at a standstill for the next, the guts of a year, yeah. more or less, 
that he could get onto his department to to release funding, mm. even you know, from the department to allow for the suggestions that I made about the air code passes for those directly affected. But it doesn't have to be that. Yeah. It can be any workable solution. But the fact that they all just wash their hands of it, I mean, people, businesses are going to be badly affected in the town. They're going to suffer badly. People are going to stop coming into the town. And yet we've Christmas coming up. And it's just, it's sickens you that Drogheda again is treated as the poor cousin in yeah. loud. And that's why I raised it with Taoiseach. Well, something to may very we well, do something. something may happen. Uh, we, I think we can hear um, what the Taoiseach had to say to you uh, a little bit later on the programme. But he did seem surprised. He wasn't aware, uh, which uh, I'm sure wasn't a great surprise to you. But he did seem to mm. be surprised that this was uh, allowed to happen. And he, he did say that he would speak to Eamon Ryan about it. Uh, I'm not sure uh, that that will have any impact uh, but there was a similar commitment given towards the end of last week then as well from the Tallinnish Michal Martin said he would speak to uh, Eamon Ryan about it so uh, I suppose uh, attention will be on the Minister for Transport now Well that's it yeah and and so it ought to be but the only way I knew I had to raise it with the Taoiseach because the Minister was just washing his hands of it and the only way you can apply pressure then is to bring it to uh, the Taoiseach's attention because the Minister is not you know, getting involved whatsoever, and that's wrong. So hopefully something. We'll just have to keep the pressure on um, because, as I said, you know, the winter now, you're going to feel it's going to be raining. People are mm. going to be using their cars. People living in the vicinity of the obelisk have no choice but to come into town or use the the toll, which it's it's out of most people's financial reach right. because they're going to have to use it several times a day to bring children to school and collect them from school. And what's the option um, if you don't use the toll? What sort of a, a, an addition, what, uh, how much extra time does that add to your journey? Well, it would add, it could add the guts of an hour. I mean, another thing there was um, sequencing of the lights. And I don't know how many times I've raised this issue. It's a major contributor to congestion. And I've raised it numerous times and they appear to adjust them for a few weeks and then it's back to, to normal. They're just Saturday and Sunday, right? The traffic on the North Road and Mel was just gridlock. From the North Road, it was backed out to Rose Hall all day and Mel the same. And that wasn't at rush hour. It's not uh, rush hour traffic on a Saturday and Sunday. It's to do with the sequencing that's causing the, the, the gridlock, even at weekends, never mind during the day. And somebody... Somebody in Loud County Council needs to take responsibility for this and to try and rectify it. Okay. Because the, definitely the, the traffic light sequence in, in this town is an absolute disaster. And no matter how many times you raise it, they adjust them for a couple of weeks. Traffic flows who, much easier. Who, who does? Uh, is it not done in Dublin? Well, as far as I know, the engineers in Loud County Council work on the traffic light sequence oh. and any correspondence I've had before. Mm. So... They need to get their act together and they need to get, a, get it done and get it sorted. Because okay. when you see it on a Saturday and Sunday, you know, you know then the sequencing is causing the problem. All right. We leave it there for the moment. Thank you, as always, for joining us. That's uh, Sinn Féin TD, Flaud and Eastmead, Melda Monster. Let's uh, bring you some of uh, the comments that have been coming to us uh, this morning. Paddy Duffy in touch uh, on text saying the utopia that the majority of our people are living through at the moment is thanks to Fine Gael. And I would respectfully recommend that all eligible voters who want this utopia to continue is to give their first preference vote to Fine Gael in the next election so we can have more of the same. Thank you indeed, Paddy. 
uh, <laughs> an unusual message from Paddy Duffy. I have a, a feeling there's a, a touch of sarcasm in there. Thanks, as I say, though. Uh, somebody else uh, saying, good morning, Michael. According to local media this week, Superintendent Andy Waters has only two Garda cards available to him a day. What the hell is going on in the biggest town in Ireland? It's no wonder that there's no law or order. The minister needs to act or she needs to go, says our caller. Uh, another message that has come to us on WhatsApp uh, from somebody who says, Hi, Michael, I don't want my name to read out, please. Uh, but just about the HSE and waiting for beds and all that, I had a, an operation in November last year with stage two cancer. I have other parts of my body that have to be checked also. And my surgeon said I needed to have radiotherapy done and an MRI done again within six weeks of my operation. Fast forward to January, February, March of this year and I've still not been seen to nor uh, for a follow-up appointment. My family doctor has not been given any sort of information about my operation. Fast forward to May this year and I finally get through to talk to someone in the hospital and they left it a week to get back to me and say they're very sorry that administration error uh, has meant my files have been lost. Finally, uh, I have a a date uh, for another MRI to be done. It's going to be a year since I've had anything done or any follow-up by the time I see someone to tell me if uh, I'm worse off or anything else. I'm only in my early 40s and I just hate the fact that I I can't get my health seen too and how money seems to be the fall for Irish people to stay alive. No wonder mental health is on the rise and people lose their homes due to having to pay for their health. Uh, That's not being cared for. Thank you indeed uh, for that very personal uh, message, detailed message uh, for that matter. And thank you for getting in touch with us today. If you want to make comment on the programme, our phone number 0419832000, text or WhatsApp 0861800658, email michael at lmfm.ie. Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. LMFM. Now, barristers are to strike tomorrow. A, a remarkable thing to say, but it is uh, to happen in a dispute over criminal legal aid fees. Let's speak uh, to Barrister Shaman Clark, Senior Counsel, who's on the line. And uh, a very good morning to you, and thank you indeed uh, for joining us uh, this morning. Uh, this uh, action that you're taking tomorrow uh, is to see a cut to your fees being reversed. Well, it's in fact a, a, an action in pursuit of an independent, meaningful and timely mechanism to determine the fees payable to barristers, both under the legal aid scheme and uh, to the barristers working for the Director of Public Prosecutions. And the, the reasons, I suppose, why we're here today is because um, fees were cut um, during the financial crisis in 2008-2011 between 28.5% and in some cases up to 69% for certain uh, fees. And that has not been restored. Other people in the public sector have had their... Um, their fees restored, their 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 pay restored, but barristers have not. And in fact, it means that the barristers are on, on fees that are in nominal terms back to 2002 levels. But when you actually put in the exacerbating level of inflation over the last number of years, in fact, the fees are actually less in real terms than the figures that were paid in 2002. Okay, uh, but uh, you'd have expected uh, those cuts uh, to have been reversed maybe five years ago, I take it. Exactly. There was a, there was a process, in fact, a formal process sanctioned by the, public, the Department of Public and Enterprise and Reform in July 2018, uh, where the Department of Justice, the Director of Public Prosecutions, 
had a an audit in relation to the fees that were being paid to barristers and they concluded that the ongoing flexibility that had been provided by barristers was comparable to the flexibility delivered by other groups uh, in the public sector that were getting their pay restored. And um, effectively, since 2018, the Department of Public Enterprise and Reform has not uh, given the the, the pay restoration back to barristers, whereas every other sector effectively have had their pay restored. And in fact, around this time last year, the last 15% pay restoration was given to senior public sector uh, servants and also judges and other people in the public sector in the in the departments, the various departments at senior level. But again, barristers have not been restored their pay. In fact, mm. the, uh, strangely enough, at the state solicitor level, they have had a restoration of of their pay as well, but the barristers have not had any restoration. It really does seem remarkable that barristers are taking strike action, uh, overpaying conditions, if you like, and uh, some people will be bemused by that uh, because it's a a well-paid profession, or perceived to be that way. Uh, But this is not what you'd call a lightning strike or anything like that. You've given almost three months' notice, haven't you? Exactly. We've given notice since July that this action was to be taken to give an opportunity for uh, the department to engage with us. We haven't had any engagement during that period of time. We um, thought that there would be engagement so that the protests may not go ahead. Um, there have been encouraging noises um, at, at some level, at ministerial level, in relation to the budget this year, um, and that there may be some uh, relief uh, upcoming. But so far, we haven't had any engagement. And just in relation to the perception that it is a, a well-paid profession, and it, of course, it is perceived that. that the barrister profession is a well-paid profession, but criminal uh, work, uh, and that's both the criminal work for the DPP and uh, under the criminal legal aid scheme, is not paid in the same way as civil or private fees are paid. It's publicly funded by and large. All of the director of public prosecution council are paid by the state, and the vast majority of defence work is paid by the state. And obviously, these cuts that were severe cuts between 2008 and 2011, but also the fact that the the parity or sorry the 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 pay was previously linked with public sector pay such that the rises would go up when public sector pay went up but that link has now been lost since the same time so we have a double whammy in the sense that there was a pay reduction but also the link with inflation rises uh, and deflation losses has been stopped and therefore there hasn't been a real rise in relation to the fees since the inflation took hold in the last number of years. So mm. that's why barristers are feeling a real bite. OK. Um, can the courts operate without you? Uh, will trials proceed tomorrow or will the criminal courts grind to a halt? Well, we, we've given plenty of notice that this action was going to be taken. Um, any criminal cases at a diceable level, it's hard to see how they would be able to proceed without counsel being involved in the cases. We're starting the new term this year and a number of trials are listed uh, to start today. Um, Obviously certain things can happen today. Uh, Juries can be sworn in in relation to those cases Um, and there will be certain cases that are listed tomorrow for sentence etc. So it's a matter for um, the court's service to sort out uh, what happens in particular cases but the Bar Council has recommended to barristers that they don't attend to court tomorrow and that they withdraw their services. And that would be trials of any criminal nature, burglaries, assaults, rape, murder, whatever the case may be. Well, all indictable crimes. So those crimes Mm. that are before the Circuit Court and the Central Criminal Court or the Special Criminal Court. Mm. Okay. Uh, And uh, up to 1,200 matters could be affected? 
Yes, there, I mean, obviously, you, when you add up all the cases that are listed in all the circuits and in all the central criminal courts and the special criminal courts, obviously there could be a large number of cases affected. Um, obviously, cases will resume on Wednesday and, uh, and the trials will continue thereafter. OK, but it, it will result in a backlog as well, then I take it, or uh, there may be further action for that matter. Well, it will result in one day lost uh, where work could continue. So, uh, obviously, there'll be a knock-on effect from that day's work not being able to proceed. Mm. Okay. Uh, will that be the end of the matter, or will you hold off until the budget is announced next week before deciding? Well, well, no action has been recommended beyond the action for tomorrow. Um, we obviously will have to wait and see what happens after uh, the budget. Um, but uh, for the moment, no further action has been recommended, and we'll have to see what happens uh, in the near future. Okay, and it'll be uh, bizarre as well uh, as uh, the fact that it's remarkable that barristers are, are striking. It'll be bizarre to see you protesting uh, on the steps of the courts. There has been some uh, dis- disruption in the sense that there has been a protest in the last number of years, in the last year particularly, particularly in relation to district court uh, fees. But those have been smaller protests. Uh, this, this particular action is in relation to indictable crime and in relation to the restoration of, uh, of the professional fee reduction that occurred between 2008 and 2011. So I think the protest tomorrow will be on a larger scale than has been seen up to this point. OK, and uh, I think uh, the courthouse in Dundalk will be included in your protest uh, as well, Sean. That's correct. The courthouse in Dundalk is one of the courts where business is to be conducted in the next uh, weeks uh, of the new term starting there. So it is one of the courts where there will be protests outside of the courtroom tomorrow. Okay, thank you very much indeed for joining us uh, this morning. That's Barrister Seamus Clark, Senior Counsel. Now, before we go to the headlines, uh, just uh, some more of uh, the comments coming to us. Uh, a text from somebody about the closure of uh, the Obelisk Bridge and indeed the impact that it's having on the traffic in Drogheda and coming in and out of Drogheda. Uh, keep the slip tolls free. Uh, that's uh, the solution our caller thinks, uh, but it's also the problem and that's why it's mental, they say. Somebody else in touch uh, about uh, the text uh, from uh, that person who was in touch with us uh, waiting for an MRI and a follow-up uh, after an operation with stage 2 cancer saying that was awful about that person waiting on an MRI. Is it money? Can you get a, a private MRI? How much is it? And uh, can we help this person? As says the caller. Uh, I think uh, you can do a lot of things privately all right uh, but uh, I think uh, the point uh, of it was uh, really the uh, idea that we're two million over budget and uh, there's many failings in the health service such as the one that our, our caller so vividly outlined to us. Uh, if you want to make comment on the programme today 0419832000 is the telephone number text or WhatsApp 0861800658 email michael at lmfm.ie Michael Reed on LMFM. Now, next week's budget, according to Social Justice Ireland, should be the first in a series of budgets that would change how children, one in seven children, in fact, live in this country. That's one in seven children who are living in poverty in this country. Suzanne Rogers, research and policy analyst with Social Justice Ireland, is on the line. And a very good morning to you, Suzanne, and thank you indeed for joining us today. That's a pretty yeah, stark statistic, isn't it, that one in seven children live in poverty? It really is, especially when, like, I always get really confused sometimes when, you know, we get these news headlines and the first news headline might be that we have a budget surplus 
and you know we've come out of recession quicker we didn't even go into recession post-covid we are at full employment so you're getting all these really positive headlines and then the next headline is that children who require with special needs who require a bus place can't get one we've got these really long waiting lists for children with mental health issues so i just find it it's extraordinary sometimes that even with how well the country is doing, we still have these extraordinary figures. I mean, that's an enormous amount of children living, having to go without in Ireland in 2023. It is. It's quite shocking. Mm, uh, And at the same time, there's a lot of very wealthy people in this country as well. Oh, yes, absolutely. Oh, no doubt about it. And I think that, you know, we were sort of living cheek by jowl as well, which is quite extraordinary. Like where I live, the suburb of Dublin that I live in, we have, like, there's a, there's a, there's a road there actually called Millionaire's Row for, for a reason. And then you'll have, you know, really low income, really deprived estates sitting right beside it. So we're aware of these things. You know, we, we, we see it. We know it's there. Um, and as you said, I suppose, if you're able to kind of isolate yourself from that, maybe that's why we're not making the inroads that we really need to be. Um, but I mean, this is so important. Mm. I mean, children, you know, even somebody had said to me recently that, you know, they're not responsible for their own poverty. Now, I would maybe argue that nobody's responsible for their own poverty. But with children, especially, you know, these are children that are living in low income households. And that's really where the targets need to be. Um, you know, put in place mm. for those households. That's the solution. Uh, if a child is in poverty, their family is in poverty and it's undoubtedly yeah. a low-income household. Uh, and you've highlighted six areas uh, that you're asking the government to look at in terms of bringing up incomes in these households where children end up living a life of poverty. That's it. So we've actually echoed, we have a new Child Poverty and Wellbeing Programme office in the Department of the Taoiseach and they have delivered their policy program so we've kind of echoed that to see well what are they looking at what can we look at and their first one is income support and joblessness so they've really acknowledged that that's exactly it poverty it's not always about money and it's about more than money but it's always about money so we would be looking for in budget 2024 a minimum increase of 25 euro in core social welfare rates and whilst that sounds quite a lot compared to what we've seen in the past our actual spending power has been eroded so much that this is really necessary even just to allow households to stand still. We need an extra €50 in the monthly child benefit payment. And again, you'll have this discussion about because it's a universal payment, is it right that everybody gets the extra 50 But what we see with the universal payments is that they're harder to pull back on. So that's really important. And also, again, when you have these welfare conversations, it's always about disincentive to work as well. So a universal payment would be in place for everybody. And that would mean then that there wouldn't be any cliff edges for people maybe wanting to get extra hours or or go back out there once their kids are a certain age. Okay, it it sounds like uh, your uh, asks are very ambitious in relation to the well-informed reports uh, that we're reading. Uh, Maybe uh, 10 or 11 euro, 12 euro maybe in terms of core social welfare increases, if you believe what's in those reports. Next week will be very interesting to see, all right, but I mean, when you look at what your euro is worth compared to what it was two or three years ago, that's actually going to leave people worse worse off in 2024 than they were in 2021 and 2022. So I do think that that, that'll actually be a backward step. And I'm so conscious the government has anti-poverty commitments that they have made 
as part of the roadmap for social inclusion, as part of the sustainable development goals. So either by 2025, the government has committed to bringing consistent poverty down to a 2% level and by 2030 to eradicate poverty in Ireland in all its forms. Mm. And I don't see how they're going to be able to do that if they're not going to look specifically at the welfare system and people who are reliant. Like if, if your income is a pension or a, you know some sort of a welfare payment, this is the only opportunity you have every year for that wage to go up. Um, so I just think, you know, at 11 or 12, 13 euro, it's actually going to be taking money out of people's pockets if they do that. It's okay. going to be leaving people way worse off. So, so you're worried. Uh, but that's one of six areas. And you say mm-hmm. that uh, lives could be changed over a number of budgets. So maybe talk through some of the other areas uh, which uh, could be offset by that disappointment if it turns out to be the way. I think that's a really valid point. So you can make people's money go further by providing services free at the point of use. So early learning and childcare is key when we look at child poverty. And the differences are made when they're teeny, 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 tiny. So investing in the early childhood care, investing in paternity leave, parental leave, looking at the whole registration of child minors and the regulation of child minors, that would make a huge difference. Reducing the cost of education, again, is really key. Um, I was at an event last week and there was somebody there from the Vincent de Paul and they had said once the free primary school books was put into place last Mm -hmm. September, the volume of calls that they got for back-to-school expenses, she did give a percentage, I can't remember, Mm -hmm. but it dropped dramatically. Mm. So there was a real difference there in, in households being able to afford to go back to school. So we'd be looking at things like pupil-teacher ratios. And again, the difference is really made when they're tiny. Housing, 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 yeah. housing. Again, we had record figures last week, record numbers of children living yeah. in America. Nearly 4,000 children. It's unbelievable. Mm. It's unbelievable. Yeah. And I mean, the damage that that does across all levels of, of, of their well-being, babies who aren't weaned properly, babies who can't crawl because there's nowhere to move, Temple Street Hospital here in Dublin had a report a couple of years back and because because of where they are they're surrounded by hostels and B&Bs and hubs and the amount of children that were coming in with skulls and burns and falls and cuts purely because it was a family living in one room and they were very disturbed at the amount of children that they were having to discharge back out into homeless accommodation mm. so like this is a real failing, like a roof over your head. Is, is it a failing though? Because the government will tell you nobody can do any better than the job that they're doing, that this takes time and you have to allow them time and if the other political parties were in power it would be all the worse because of their policies. I mean when they say it takes time, this didn't happen overnight. This is as a direct result of decisions that were made decades ago. I mean we, we moved from what we did was we, we put a market value on public and common goods like access to health, access to housing, access to education, and we put a value on them and we turned them into businesses. Now, I think we can see that that experiment probably isn't delivering uh, the rewards for the for, for you and me as, as they maybe as they hoped it would. Somebody's making a profit somewhere. There's absolutely no doubt about that. But, I mean, we've had, you know, family homelessness has been a discussion now for probably 10 years. Um, and you know we are a country where there's still plenty of room we're not even you know we, we had these census figures saying we're back up to 5 million but I mean we had what 8, eight million before pre, pre 
pre-famine and we had nothing back then. So there's, you know, there's room to build, there's room to relocate. You can see we've got all these people now coming coming out of cities and back into rural locations because they can work from home. We can get really creative with digital hubs. We can get really creative with repopulating areas that, you know, people had moved out of. Like, it's all joined mm. up. It's well, all the, there. The, these so, HSE properties that are lying vacant for that matter, but it all costs money, of course. And as we heard this morning, there's a two billion overrun in the health service, which is going to have a, an impact on this 5.2 billion on one-off spending. Um, would you be hoping that the government will throw caution to the wind and dip into the reserves and all of that money that it has from the windfall corporation taxes? I mean, the likes of investing in infrastructure, it is an investment. It's not a cost. It is an investment. We can see how much money homelessness costs the system at the moment. We can see how much money poverty costs the system. So I I don't necessarily agree that that this is a this is you know it's it's going to be money well spent if you invest in social housing and have somewhere for people to go and live affordable securable sustainable then you're not having to pay private providers for B&Bs and hostels and hubs so and again I appreciate we had this you know huge influx mm. in a, you know in 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 people coming here um you know over the last 12 months but I mean surely that makes sense in the long term and so, like those sort of investments, I just think would be would be key. Um, and again, the money's there. So this is the thing where if we can't spend when we don't money and we can't spend when we do have money, I'm not too sure how we're ever going to be able to provide these things. Mm. And it, with the, uh, so I was going to say, <laughs> with, the, with the health system as well, it's a bit like in your own household. If you're constantly overspending on something, then possibly you're actually under budgeting. Like. They talk about a health overspend every year, mm. which would allow me to think, well, maybe you maybe you need to forecast possibly slightly more accurately. Right. Um, there'll be an equivalent uh, spend uh, on welfare increases and tax cuts. Um, do you believe that's the right approach? Um, no. And again, I was at a, an event last week and somebody there from the unions had even said that their members would be in favour of money being spent on services rather than tax cuts. So this isn't just a you know a civil society as this is coming from from sort of labour unions as well to say that this is really they don't think that this is where the money would be best spent. So uh, you know if if you've got a small tax cut that maybe puts five ten euro a week back in somebody's pocket, as opposed to providing EP care, making sure that there are GPs there, making sure as I said that there's a school bus for your kid to be able to come back and forth to school. So I think investing in the services, I think in the long term, would make much more sense. Mm, and, and indeed, uh, that is one of uh, the areas uh, that you're asking the government to invest in now, so that uh, effectively families who don't have money uh, can access those services uh, without having to spend money that isn't available to them. And I think, again, we're very conscious that, the, especially over the last two years, you've got every single household in the country has been impacted by increased costs. Absolutely no doubt about that. And you've got a cohort where they're not able to access social service support because, you know, the, 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 there's money coming in, there's an income coming in, but it's it's getting very tight, it's getting very, very squeezed. So. Mm. 
to be able to give back to, to those households as well that maybe aren't eligible for direct social welfare supports, that they would be able to access these services free at the point of use that would be so key. And it's things, you know, it's, it's for their kids. I mean, we've got an ask here to invest again in sports recreation facilities, particularly in disadvantaged areas, looking at arts and culture as well for kids, like all of those things. Again, everything adds up, it all joins up together. So I think that would be really key for, for government to look right across. And again, if we have the money and we don't spend it, and yet you know we'll be told in a couple of years' time we don't have the money and we can't spend it, like this is an investment, you know, really is an investment in our in our futures. Okay, Suzanne, thank you indeed for joining us today. Suzanne Rogers, research and policy analyst with Social Justice Ireland. Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. Now, some messages, uh, some very interesting texts and uh, calls coming to us today. Somebody says, on one hand, you've the Irish Heart Foundation, and I'm sure others urging the government to increase the price of cigarettes. The other side of that is that parents who have an addiction to nicotine will buy cigarettes no matter what they cost, even if that's €20 Euro a pack, and their children will have to go without even more because more money will be spent on these cigarettes. An increase of €25 Euro a week in welfare payments will only mean that supermarkets will put their prices up even more because they will realise we have more money in our pockets. Well, thank you indeed. Uh, very interesting. Uh, kind of cynical, uh, but some valid points nonetheless. Uh, somebody else then, uh, John in touch with us saying it's impossible to get any procedure done in the health sector, but as soon as the word private as mentioned you're told you'll be getting it done next week and an appointment uh, will be sent out to you in the post the health service is a joke says john conlon in bally mckenney uh, text message uh, to us uh, from somebody who says michael kids and care foster care are in particular uh, will will be worse off in the budget at this uh, time uh, because uh, the government doesn't take care of them no new foster families coming forward because they just can't uh, afford to do it. That's Tom texting us uh, about that. Uh, Mary's been on the phone to us this morning. Thanks for your call, Mary. She says uh, she wanted to ring in to agree with Imelda Munster speaking earlier on about opening the tolls to local residents who would have used the Obelisk Bridge otherwise. She says that makes the most sense when the bridge closure is ongoing. Something has to be done to tackle the traffic congestion that we're currently seeing. It just can't go on like this. People might be able to put up with it if it was to last for a month or so, but when it's expected to last for the guts of a year, alternative arrangements need to be made. Thanks, Mary, for that. Sam, in touch with us about the ongoing dispute uh, in terms of Garda rosters, saying he doesn't understand why the Minister for Justice cannot get involved in this dispute between the Garda and the Commissioner Harris. Uh, she's saying it's not her place to get involved, but she's the Minister for Justice. So if anyone should be getting stuck into sort this out, it should be Helen McEntee, says Sam. Thank you, uh, as I say, for your call to the programme. If you want to call us, our telephone number is 041 983 2000. Text or WhatsApp 0861 Email michael at lmfm.ie. Now to Dundalk and uh, a very important issue to some residents who are living in Carlin Hall. Minister, this isn't even the first time I've talked about Carlin Hall this week with yourself. Um, look, we've had the 
feasibility study by the SAI into a shallow geothermal heat source solution um, to the communal district heating system there. Um, I got a reply during the summer uh, to a PQ which stated um, that the report was drafted, that there were recommendations for um, short, medium and long term action. So if I could just get an update in relation to where that is, we know that we really need to provide these people with a solution. And that's uh, Rory Murakou, local Sinn Féin TD, raising this issue in uh, the Dáil last week with Minister Roisin Smith. The report is going to be published in early October. It's important to note that the scheme in question is privately owned and managed and decisions to implement any of the recommendations would be a matter for the relevant parties to consider. Okay, but the good news, if you like, is uh, that the report and the recommendations that it makes will be published, it seems, in the coming days. Community uh, heat scheme, heat, heat system like this provides um, the heating, the hot water for an entire development, uh, typically an apartment block or an apartment complex. And it means that there's one one component to be switched out so that all of those apartments can be decarbonised. So the, the reality is that this is a huge opportunity. It's much easier to switch out that one large heating system than to go into 100 boilers uh, where, where every apartment has its own heating system. So I, I feel it should be targeted. I'm looking forward to seeing... I haven't seen the, the draft yet of this SEAI report. I think it's providing a choice of options for how... Uh, for, for different types of heating that could, that could be put in there uh, of renewable energy. Uh, but I think that it is, going to, it, it is such that uh, I think it will provide good value for money for a switch. I think it will be liable for, for government support in the same way that individual systems are liable for support. And I will work with the SAAI to develop uh, a scheme to, to support the, um, uh, the replacement of these, commu- of these communal heating systems running on fossil fuel with, with new systems that run on renewable energy. And that was Minister Oisín Smith responding to Sinn Féin's Rory Murakou. Look, that, that's, that's all very positive and uh, Minister, I'll obviously be holding you to your word in relation to that. I think it's absolutely vital that when this is published that we look at the best means and, and I also accept there will have to be a huge amount of consultation obviously between uh, the 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 landlords, the residents, you know, all the, the, the specific stakeholders that are involved in Carlin Hall and, and any other uh, applicable uh, communal heating systems. All right, well, the report and the recommendations yet to be published, but uh, it seems as though there is some hope for residents in Carlin Hall. Now, let's speak about drugs and what we're going to do about drugs in this country because that's what the Citizens' Assembly on Drugs has been doing over the course of this year. And over the weekend just gone, the Assembly met for its last meeting. Every public health doctor will tell you prevention is better than cure. And I agree with that. And this is also true for drug use. And that is uh, the country's chief medical officer, Brenda Smith. How do we engage people who use drugs with this health-led approach? It starts early with our home environment, our our friends, our colleges, our communities and our organisations. But we also know now that the profile of our drug users have changed since the 80s. Over a third now are cocaine users and we have a third opioid users. In 2022, cocaine use increased by almost 26% from 2021, that's in one year. So we need to adapt how we engage with drug users to ensure they engage with our health-led approach. 
Stigma acts as a barrier to those who wish to seek treatment. So we need to change the narrative regarding drug treatment. Okay, and uh, some shocking statistics there, uh, I think, uh, particularly in relation to cocaine and the amount of people who are using cocaine in uh, this country uh, and what to do about that situation if it's an ongoing breach of the law, do you legalise, decriminalise? And what would happen if you were to do something like that, if you were to legalise drugs? The key influencer is their environmental factors, their perception of normality. What is normal? So legalisation will increase use and the normalisation of drug use. So what is the peer-reviewed evidence telling us from other jurisdictions that have legalised drug use? We're from Ontario and Canada. Data from 20, 2001 to 2019 tells us it increases the prevalence of cannabis use and the, the profile of the use to daily use. It increases also the prevalence of cannabis-related problems, including ED admissions and hospitalizations. A 2021 research article that focused on adolescent cannabis use concludes that high and low frequency cannabis usage are associated with significant increased risk of schizophrenia. I should finish, Breda, please. Sorry, no. So finally, there's no silver bullet. We need a multi-layered public health approach with primary, secondary and tertiary prevention. And also in public health, we base our decisions on evidence. Okay. Some uh, swings and roundabouts in the evidence uh, being presented there by the Chief Medical Officer, Breda Smith, uh, to the Citizens' Assembly on Drugs. She was running out of time and uh, being encouraged to finish up by the Chair of uh, that Assembly, Paul Reid. Also speaking uh, over the weekend at that uh, Assembly meeting was the homeless campaigner, Father Peter McVeary. But one recommendation... Uh Gosh, it's, uh, I don't think there is one recommendation. This is a multi-dimensional uh, uh, problem. Uh, I think we, we need to invest in services uh, much more adequately than we are doing at the moment. Uh, you know, there was, I can't remember when, but it's about 15 years ago, one of the drug strategies uh, suggested, and maybe this would be my recommendation, it said that nobody should wait more than four weeks for drug treatment after being assessed. Now, that's, that's a joke at the moment. Many, many, 15 years later, that just doesn't happen. It happens in some areas uh, because there is no drug treatment <laughs> available. So you're, you're, you're not waiting more than four weeks. Uh, but I would say that would be my, we should be aiming for a situation where nobody who is assessed for drug treatment would be waiting more than four weeks uh, to access drug treatment. Okay, that's uh, Father Peter McVeary. Uh, it's going to be very interesting then, uh, of course, in terms of what happens next, uh, because uh, the Assembly will be making recommendations, but that's all they'll be doing. Uh, I think uh, there is an expectation of some sort uh, of decriminalising some of the drugs, possibly decriminalising cannabis, possibly decriminalising other drugs, possibly legalising some drugs. Uh, But that in its own 
won't mean very much because those recommendations will then go to the Oireachtas. They'll go to the government uh, and undoubtedly into committee uh, and then legislation uh, uh, will follow. Uh, but I'm sure everybody will be having their say in relation to what should happen next. Do we continue with the war on drugs, which uh, has had its successes, as you know, but we continue to be awash with drugs uh, and we continue to spend a fortune on policing the drugs problem and we continue to lose so many young people to a a life of drugs and crime that goes with it and so on. Or uh, do we take other steps? Do we decriminalise, legalise or whatever the case may be? That's going to be a a conversation that we'll all be having uh, over the coming days after the conversations that the Citizens' Assembly has had over the last number of months. Uh, But if you'd like to share your thoughts with us on that or to comment at all on the programme today. As always we'd love to hear from you. Our telephone number is 0419832000 text or WhatsApp 0861800658 email michael at lmfm.ie Michael Reed on LMFM. Well, there's been a, a lot of concern about uh, the number of incidents, accidents and collisions on our roads, the number of injuries and uh, indeed uh, the number of fatalities uh, this year. We're going back in the wrong direction. Uh, but what about the number of Gardaí policing our roads? Well, let's hear a little bit more about that now. Susan Gray is chairperson and founder of of the road safety group Park and on the line and a very good morning to you Susan thanks as always for joining us on the programme today and you've got some information some data in relation to the number of Gardaí on the roads uh, that uh, you've received through a parliamentary question Yeah in 2009 Michael we had 1046 members and Gardaí members in roads placing units August 2023, we've 659. That's a reduction of 387. Now, the deaths on the road this year to date is 136. Now, in July alone, we noticed from delving through the data that in July there was 17 lives lost in the roads. But... 14 Gardaí were taken out of roads places. In Dublin, Westmeath, Kilkenny, Carlow, Cork, Kerry, Limerick and Galway. Now we don't know the reasons. Did they retire? Were they redeployed to other duties? We don't know. But what we do know is in July following 17 precious lives being loaned, uh, lost. 14 members were, and then in August, Mm. we had 26 fatalities in the road, and five more Gardaí were gone from roads placing in August, and Kildare, Wicklow, Louth, Sligo, and Leitrim. So that's a total of 19 Gardaí gone in Mm. two months. So it's going in the wrong direction. The road deaths are going in the wrong direction. They're going up, up, up. And the roads placing members are going down, down, down. It right. doesn't make sense. It's not right. And this is across the country, isn't it? Because you've been looking at the number of Gardaí deployed to police the roads uh, in 2009 and comparing that with August of this year. Yes. 
And um, and Johnny Galway lost seven, Mayo five, Galway seven, Clare eleven, Kerry eleven, Tipperary fifteen, um, Wexford seven, Westmeath nine, uh, Dublin one hundred and thirty-nine, Sligo Leitrim seventeen, um, Leishoffley eighteen, Cork forty-six left. So, mm. uh, and locally here in County Meath, twelve fewer Garda, and County Loud, seven fewer Garda. Yep. And, so, and they're from um, they're from relatively small figures to begin with, Susan, aren't they? I mean, um, we're talking about going from thirty Garda down to eighteen in Meath, and from thirty Garda yeah. in Louth to twenty three. So, uh, it's a relatively small amount of people to be policing the roads. Exactly, and while the the government keeps saying that they're anxious, they feel sorry for all the families that have lost loved ones and it's a great concern to them. Why then are they reducing the number in roads placing? I know they've got more, they've given more funding to GOSIF for more hours working to catch spinning drivers. But these GOSIF fans will never be able to replace the great work of Gardaí on the ground. Mm. Nothing will deter people more than the thought of being caught by a Gardaí at a checkpoint and being penalised. What about Nothing. Ed- what about education? I was talking to the Road Safety Authority uh, a number of weeks back uh, about their campaigns, uh, which are not at all visible to me anymore. Uh, and I was wondering if they'd dumbed down their operations or what was going on. Uh, and they were saying, no, uh, they're targeting people in different ways, that they're using TikTok or Instagram or some of these social media things to get messages out to young people specifically. Um, have you any thoughts on that? Oh, Michael, everybody knows what I've been told, that they shouldn't drink and drive. All the learners know that they must be accompanied by a qualified driver. All the drivers know, all of us know, that when we're disqualified, we should not continue to drive. Everybody knows that when you're disqualified, you should, by law, surrender your license to the RSA, to a PO box. None of that seems to take an effect, these ads or reminders. People don't need reminders. They need the fear of getting caught. The disqualified drivers especially. Learner drivers, the RSA have an ad now, a reminder on the website to all learners that if they accumulate seven penalty points, they will be disqualified for six months. But a PQ re-raise showed that the vast majority that are disqualified in court are not surrendering their licence or their permit to the RSA. And we've asked him and he's been prosecuted for this offence because it is an offence with uh, a penalty of up to €1,000 for the first offence and 2000 plus for second and subsequent mm. offences. As far as we can tell, nobody's been taken back to court. Okay, and did you so, see Did you see the article in the Irish Times today? Michael Bolton is reporting up to 30,000 people are on their third or subsequent provisional licence and they've never sat a, a driving test. At the start of this year, the article says, about 420 drivers a month fail to show up for their test. Yes, and um, our letter to Leo, to our Tisha Leo Varadkar at the beginning of August, we outlined all this to him 
We give them facts and figures of the first six months of this year, how many didn't turn up for their test. We explain to them that, as far as we're concerned, this they can roll off their permit forever without submitting the test. All they have to do is send 85 euro to the RSA and apply for the test and get a date. But they don't have to turn up. Now, David Labanyi's article shows it's an epidemic. People not showing up, and we explained to the Tisha as well in our letter that not only is that a problem that they're rolling over, but it must be creating a huge problem and contributing to the backlog and driving tests. Hmm. We hear every day people are waiting five, six months to get a date to sit the test, a learner driver. While the PQE race showed that four to five hundred a month in the first six months of this year did not show up for their test. Now, the examiner's sitting there, and he cannot allocate that test time slot to anybody else. He doesn't know they're not going to turn up. So it's adding to the backlog while there's learners out there very anxious to get a tested, practice, turn up, pass, and then they have a full license. So while Laura Fay put a provision in their... Um, 2013 road safety strategy saying that they were going to end this practice. They were going to make it mandatory for a learner to actually turn up for the test. That doesn't mm. fail it before they would renew a learner permit. That never happened. Their completion date was 2014. That never happened. Then they said they were going to do it in 2018. It never happened. Then they said they sent proposals to Shane Ross, the last minister for transport. Um, with proposals of how to stop this. Where did that go? It seems to have disappeared into thin air because there's no word. And now they're a new strategy. They have a proposal to um, eliminate or cut down on learner drivers driving unaccompanied. It's all, it's all words, Michael. And over the years, nothing has changed. And now it's affecting the backlogs in the driving test centres. Now, teacher Leo Varadkar did reply to us and say that he was going to bring our issues to his colleague, Helen, Minister for Tra- Justice, Justice, Helen McEntee, mm-hmm. and to Jack T- Chambers, mm-hmm. and he would ask for an update on the issues we raised. We look forward to them updates because Dorothy said, quoted in David Labanya's article today, that they believe that the no-shows are added to the backlog and driving test. That's rich coming from a, a state agency that we believe created this problem in the first time, in the first place, if they had stopped issuing learner permits to those that didn't bother turning up, then it would have encouraged the learners to practice, to turn up, and a lot of them would have passed the test and they would be fully qualified drivers now. And the Gardaí wouldn't be out every day catching unaccompanied learner drivers, mm. probably driving on the third, fourth, fifth, sixth learner. Yeah. Yeah. It is yeah. a farce, Michael. Okay. And RSA knows this for years, since 2013. And the problem still remains. 
Okay, Susan, we have to leave it there, but thanks as always for your time. Thanks for joining us today. Okay, thank, thank you. Thank you indeed. Bye. Susan Gray, chairperson and founder of the Road Safety Group Park. Michael Reed on LMFM. Well, there's been a, another increase in house prices nationally of 4.1%. This is according to the latest report from myhome.ie, which is for quarter three of this year. Joanne Gary is managing director of My Home and on the line. And a very good morning to you, Joanne. Thanks indeed for taking the time to be with us this morning. Let's talk about the situation locally because there's been little change in County Mead, but certainly over the course of a, a year, houses have got more expenses in County Louth, uh, 20,000 more than would have been the case uh, a year ago, and risen by 5,000 during the last quarter, apparently. That's right. Morning, Michael. Um, what we're seeing here is, as you say, the, the median asking price for a property in County Mead now is 295,000, um, and there has been little change in prices um, in the county over the last and a year or so, um, risen by just over €5,000 uh, compared to this time last year. You might be wondering, well, why is that? And actually, I think the reason is more down to the lack of supply. Um, there are just under 450,000 properties available for sale in County Mead and my home at the moment. That's down 7% in the year. And what we know about what's happening in relation to mortgages is you have a greater pool of people who are mortgage ready, demand is still very strong, and you have very constrained supply. So actually, what I think you'll start to see in county needs um, over the months ahead is potentially those prices um, starting to to increase again. In load, you know, a slightly different story, and you could say that that that, um, is symptomatic of some other counties as well. Um, pretty strong asking price increases in County Louth in the last quarter, up €5,000 in the last quarter alone. Prices are up by 20000 compared to this time last year, with the median asking price in the county, in County Louth, now at €245,000. Again, quite constrained stock and supply in County Louth, 277 properties available for sale, and that's down 6% in the year. Hmm. So you're seeing in both counties, actually, supply is constrained, it's quite low uh, and strong demand, which is obviously pushing those prices up again. Right. Uh, And uh, this increase of over 4% nationally, then, is that being uh, driven by counties outside of uh, Dublin and the counties bordering Dublin? Well, what you can see in um, in the national figures is that there was an increase of 0.6% in the quarter. That was driven mainly by Dublin, actually, 1.3% in Dublin and 0.4% um, around the country. So certainly there is still a COVID effect there, a post-COVID effect of people looking to locate outside of the capital um, into, um, into more of the regions. And you're seeing that price change, the 4% in the year, um, that's still being driven um, outside of Dublin mm. um, by 4.9% uh, driving and skewing that, that price change uh, driven from the regions. Where are so we? Certainly, I'm sorry. <laughs> where, where, yeah. where, where are we at now, Joanne, uh, relative uh, to Celtic Tiger prices? So I think we're still slightly um, off the peak um, by about 
12, 13% or so. That will vary county by county and obviously on a case by case basis. So we're still slightly off um, the peak nationally. Um, but we're certainly, you know, in a, a marketplace that's um, demonstrating still very strong demand, very low supply. But the good news about the market right now is that, you know, the, the borrowing rules and the central bank rules um, are a lot more prudent than what they would have been back in Celtic Tiger days. First time buyers are um, able to borrow up to four times their income. And, you know, for those trading, um, it's three and a half times. By putting that lid and keeping that lid on um, on on the mortgage piece, that you know we would have if that wasn't there, our asking prices would have uh, increased even more than what they're doing at the moment. So I think we're in a very different space than we would have been in Celtic Tiger days uh, in term, terms of the, the mortgage lending rules, and that's good news I think generally for the overall market. Uh, and with such demand, uh, I take it you're turning over properties pretty quickly. Yeah, I mean, you can certainly see that the um, average time to go sale agreed uh, in, a, in a county, and actually if I look at needs, it's just over two months. I mean, that's quite a short time period uh, for that average uh, transaction time. That speaks to quite a hot market, as we would call it. Um, in Loud, it's a little bit longer. It's about three months it takes to transact a property in Loud. So things are taking a little bit longer there, which might suggest that you know, buyers and sellers are just being a little bit more considered and moving uh, a little bit more slowly. Mm. But you don't, be you, down to the finance piece. You, you don't see any potential of prices dropping, uh, and uh, do you think that they will I, continue to increase? It's hard to see that prices are going to drop back, uh, Michael. And I say that because of the employment market that we're in, and but also the um, mortgage level. So the Banking Payments Federation told us back in July and August that the average mortgage approval is now up to just over €300,000. That's a 6% increase in the year. And the volume of mortgages is also up. So what that means is you've got a a, a propped up level of demand in terms of people who are mortgage ready uh, and ready to go. Um, We also know that there's an increase from the CSO. There's an increase in adults living at home with their parents uh, of 28%. Most people make up 10% of the housing market, of the housing population now. Mm. And we also have people who we would uh, call crammers. They're um, employed adults uh, living together, renting together. And that's up 29%. All of that tells me mortgages, the employer's market, and people um, cohabitating and living with their parents, that all talks to pent-up demand. You have pent-up demand in um, a a marketplace that's only going to produce probably about 30,000 units this year um, to the market. That's still way off what we need to be producing for our population. So I think for all of those reasons, you're going to continue to see uh, prices increase, but at a modest enough level, I think. Uh, Low-digit, single-digit inflation um, for the year ahead, as we would see it, but not prices falling. Okay, thank you indeed for joining us this morning, Joanne. Joanne Geary, Managing Director of MyHome.ie. I beg your pardon, that's MyHome.ie. Now, uh, let me bring you some uh, more of uh, the comments coming to us. Uh, Paddy and Terman Fecken was in touch with us about road safety, and he says, I believe that there's one aspect of driving that may cause an accident, uh, but in any case, per driving ability. Uh, I'm talking about drivers who lower their seats 
almost in a lying down position. The result is that visibility is severely hampered. A driver must be able to see the road in front of them with a lowered seat. The driver can't even see the bonnet. Uh, An example of uh, a normal good position is that you'll see danger over a hill where with the lowered seat, there's a few crucial seconds delay. Uh, and that should at least be researched, says Paddy. Interesting. Never ne- never heard a complaint about that before, I have to say. Paddy, thanks uh, indeed uh, for making it with us uh, today. Um, we'd Somebody else then texting us saying, "My maybe we need to look at, at what we are policing on the roads, like road tax. Do away with it and put it on fuel, then everyone pays. How many man hours would that save the Gardaí? I'd rather feel safe and know my family are safe on the streets in Navan than finding Mary 60 euro for not having tax. Interesting indeed. Thank you indeed. We'll stay with the roads or the road that's been of a, a lot of concern uh, in the Drogheda area. We were speaking with Imelda Munster a little earlier today about how she rose uh, the issue of the closure of the Obelisk Bridge and the impact that that's having on traffic in the Dáil last week. The Obelisk Bridge at Old Bridge in Drogheda has been closed since August for restoration and will be closed until May 2024. Now it's caused absolute, it was closed without any sort of traffic management plan has caused absolute traffic chaos. It was the only crossing for people living in the immediate vicinity to get from the north to the south side of Drogheda. Now, because of that, people are now actually forced to use the toll section on the M1 daily to take children to and from school. I have been liaising with the Minister for Transport. I have been on to TTI. I have been a TII. have been on to Loud County Council and the state bodies are all passing the buck. The, the obvious solution would be for an M1 toll pass for the duration of the, the works for those living in the direct vicinity. You could use this by using the, give this out by using the air code. Now, I've been back and forth. The minister hasn't been of much help as yet to this. But it's it's one thing asking people to put up with that expense during the cost of living crisis for a couple of weeks. But for the guts of a year, it's extremely unfair. Will you ask the minister to to liaise with Loud County Council, TII, and the the toll operator to come to some workable agreement on this and to issue toll passes for the duration of the works, please? Well, the Taoiseach said he'd speak to the minister. I'm I'm not familiar with with, with the details, um, but I, I... And here it's causing a lot of inconvenience for people in Drada. Um, but I, I, I certainly make, make some inquiries with Minister Ryan and see if there is something that can be done. I'm not sure if a toll pass would be workable or not, but I'll certainly make sure that he's aware of the suggestion. Okay, so you'll make the Minister aware of the suggestion. It's an issue that was also raised last week by Fine Gael's Fergus O'Dowd. Drada's traffic is grinding to a halt every day. Indeed, as Minister Byrne, who lives locally, will know. Development north and south of the river is putting huge volumes of cars into our town. It's been compounded by the closure, the essential closure of the Obelisk Bridge for essential repairs, a dangerous bridge which carried local traffic north and south of the Boyne without going into Drogheda. You have cars now, some of them over queues of up to 100 cars waiting to get through a junction. People are very angry. Journeys are increasing north-south in the town by some, something around 45 minutes. Could I ask the Tawnish to, to ask Minister Ryan, or sorry, who I know is not here, and I expect he will be 
made it, addressed this issue, that he would get Mead County Council, Loud County Council and transport infrastructure together to find a solution to this problem. And the punished uh, Micheál Martin said he would raise it with Eamon Ryan, the Minister for Transport. That's our programme for today. God willing, we'll see you for our next programme tomorrow morning at 9am right here on LMFM. Good morning. Bye-bye. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at LMFM.ie.